On May the 31st, 1911, a British shipping company launched a new vessel on its maiden voyage. It was one of the new Olympic class ships. It was, it was huge. And when the hull was placed, when it was lifted out of dry dock and put into the water, at that time it was the largest movable man-made object in the world. The Olympic class vessel was uh, designed to break speed records. It was designed to be the safest naval vessel ever made. Shipbuilder Magazine during those days declared the Olympic class ship to be practically unsinkable. Many perceived, a lot of people perceived that this vessel uh, was one of the best ways, the best and the safest way to, to travel intercontinentally. If you wanted to travel from one continent to the other, that was considered to be uh, nothing safer than an Olympic class vessel. They considered it to be safe enough that uh, 1,300 passengers and a crew of 900 set sail for the United States. The designers of this ship consisted of some of the best minds and best engineers in the world, the best and most respected engineers and shipbuilders. They had new ideas that were highly celebrated. They had new technology and innovation. And it reminds me as I think about that particular story through uh, through our world's history, it reminds me a little bit how uh, in our world today, there are a lot of new ways, per, some ways people say this is a new way to perceive God or a new way to perceive the Word of God. There are a lot of new ways to look at the things of God and there are a lot of highly intelligent and a lot of new uh, perspectives and highly intelligent people that are uh, are proclaiming these new pers perspectives on what Scripture teaches. Now listen, don't, don't get me wrong, just because an idea seems new doesn't make it wrong, but it also doesn't make it right. And just because something seems new doesn't mean it really is all that new as you study through world history. We need to make sure, friends, that our theological standards are biblically measured and centered on God's desire instead of our own. Throughout, the, throughout just the, the history of the United States and even in just the last few years, there have been countless, countless what I would call man-centered theologies. A, a man-centered theology is, is a theology that's centered around how does this make me Feel, or how would that might make so-and-so feel? It's all about the perspective of somebody in humanity. It's all about what humanity or some, some portion of humanity thinks about things, and that is what greatly influences and defines how we see the things of God and how it relates to our world. And we see these man-centered gospels that have been popular in our culture for a long time. Just mo most recently, or, or maybe in the last probably 20 or 30 years, we've, we've, uh, we've heard things like the prosperity gospel. That's a man-centered theology. It's the 
theology where, where people would say, hey, God wants you to, to be rich and be prosperous, and really what God wants is to, uh, is to incre increase your wealth. And so as long as you do what God wants you to do, he's going to put a little bit more in your pocketbook, okay? That's, that's a man-centered theology, and it's not a correct theology. And all of us understand that that's not a biblical thing. Uh, but, you know, a, a lot of th people over the years have taught, you know, what God really wants is to, to, to heal you from some physical or emotional ailment. God, uh, God's sole reason for existing is, is to do whatever He can to make you feel loved, okay? And, and so when, when, when your theology is based around the idea that, that God... You know, you know, God really exists to make you feel a certain way. That's a problem because your feelings can deceive you. We see that in Scripture. God doesn't just want you to feel loved. He wants you to know that you're loved, but not just loved according to the standards of this world, which is typically a very temporary and very conditional kind of love and affection. God wants you to know and understand and realize godly, agape love that is unconditional. People today will say, well, you know, love is love. Well, yes, but who defines love? God defines it. And so love is love sounds good, but it depends on what you mean when you say that. They'll say live your truth. You know what the problem is from that? There's no such thing as your truth. There's only the truth. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. I can believe all day long that 2 plus 2 equals 5. That's truth to me. But it's wrong. Simple math. It's scientifically incorrect. Okay? And so we understand that these man-centered and man-made theologies are very dangerous because they tend to teach us. Here's what it comes down to. They teach us that our happiness comes from the things of this world. That all God really wants is just to give you everything that will make you happy and make you feel snug as a bug in a rug. That's, that, that's, the, kind of, uh, that's the kind of ideas that these man-centered theologies point us towards. And what we have to understand is that, uh, is that we survey God that who does love us and who does have a plan for us. And yes, there, we, there, we do factor into the equation, but our life is not our own. We exist for Him, and that's what Scripture teaches us. And so Jude, when he's, as he's writing this letter to the church, he's warning believers to beware of these false teachers that, that deceive us with words that many times sound good. Who doesn't like the, term, the, the phrase love is love or love wins? Who doesn't like those phrases? They sound good. Jude says, be careful that you understand really the meaning of those words. Be careful that you 
uh, that you really look into the people that are bringing you these messages and you need to look into their lives and you need to look into what they're saying and you need to compare it to the infallible word of God because that is our authority. Our authority is not, uh, is not what Pastor Jason teaches. Our authority is not what pastor anybody teaches. Our authority is not what does the culture think and what is considered to be politically correct. Our, our authority is what does God's word say and teach about a particular issue. And so Jude says, be careful. Because these teachings and these lifestyles that they're proclaiming and that they're, uh, that they're pushing, they're not consistent with the teachings and the principles of God's Word And so we're going to pick up here in, in, in verse 12. Jude's telling them about imminent disaster. <laughs> He's telling them, if you jump on board with these things, you are headed for disaster. So Jude, uh, verse 12, and we're going to read to verse 19. Here we go. These are the ones who are like dangerous reefs at your love feasts. They feast with you, nurturing only themselves without fear. They are waterless clouds carried, carried along by winds. Trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, pulled out by the roots. Wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds. Wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about them. Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict them of all their ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers walking according to their own desires their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you, in the end time, there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are unbelievers not having the Spirit. Father, we pray this morning... Lord, as we look into uh, the, the deception of these false teachers in the book of Jude, Father, it is, a, uh, it is at times a, uh, something that could very easily pull us down. But Father, I pray that the, the words of Jude would not pull us down and make us sad. Instead, that it would sharpen our swords. And Father, um, prepare us to be able to face the oppositions that we so often faced in our world today. God, we pray that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we see here Jude reminding us very clearly. Jude's reminding us, listen, anybody can say, anybody can say they have a word from the Lord. But that doesn't mean that what they're saying is really from the Lord. May I remind you that, uh, that Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, says that he had a word from the Lord. He even says that he was visited by an angel. 
And he may have seen something supernatural. I'm not saying he didn't, but it wasn't from God. Okay? So just because somebody says that, uh, that they have a word from the Lord, it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. When I was on staff at another church in Little Rock, one guy came down, uh, down during the invitation one time, and he came down the aisle and he talked to the pastor that was standing there. There was a bunch of us standing out front, and he talked to the pastor, and the pastor you know, leaned over to talk to him, and the guy shared with the pastor, hey, God has told me to come and take over the leadership of this church. God has told me to come and take the keys to the church. God told him, right? But the reality is, it was pretty obvious God didn't tell him that. First of all, it was obvious that the guy had some psychological issues going on. It was obvious that the guy also was very disturbed and somewhat confused. But, you know, if we would have just taken him on his word and said, okay, I mean, what in the world would have happened? It was very obvious. And what he was doing, by the way, uh, that is not a biblical way uh, for God to install, for example, a new pastor. It just doesn't happen like that, okay? Uh, and so we understood that, that it, was, it was unbiblical. And, 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 and as crazy as it seemed, here's the thing, that, 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 that at the same time, there are religious and spiritual leaders in our culture that are having tremendous impact on the ministries within Christianity that are every bit as unbiblical and every bit, every bit as crazy as the man who was convinced that God had called him to be the new head of the church. We have to be careful. Do you know that there, is, there are some ministries considered to be mainstream Christian ministries today that advocate for and teach that you can go as a, uh, as a, as a young disciple or a disciple of Christ, you can go and lay on the grave of a deceased believer, particularly a believer who used to be an evangelist, people in the charismatic, uh, charismatic uh, wing of our faith, believe that God puts a certain what they call anointing on those people and so there are people that that believe this is not all charismatic people but there is a particular ministry that teaches their their seminary students that you can go and lay down on the grave of a dead evangelist and you can absorb the anointing that's what they teach it's called grave soaking look it up okay you they they teach that listen folks they're is absolute craziness out there. But if it's, if it's presented by somebody that's not very likable, not a very good communicator, you don't listen to it. But if it's presented by somebody who, who's likable, somebody who's a gifted communicator, many people don't even bother to cross-reference it with Scripture. It's like those passengers and, and crew that boarded that beautiful state of the art, modern marvel in 1911 to travel from England to the United States. What those passengers and what those many of the crew did not probably even understand is that one of the design features of that particular vessel that was supposed to be a design feature that was to make it an un sinkable or highly unsinkable ship one of those design features was actually flawed in its design and this feature everybody thought would prevent the ship from sinking would do little to nothing from preventing it to sink 
And on April the 14th, 1911, that ship called the RMS Titanic hit an iceberg that penetrated the hull with a 300-foot gash and those not-so-watertight compartments under the ship began to fill up with water and in less than three hours that ship and everyone that was convinced it was unsinkable would sink. Now, there were some that escaped, that got in lifeboats, praise God, but 1,500 people died on this ship that they were convinced was unsinkable. Jude's telling us, don't, don't get on board with the things of these false teachers. You need to look at who they are. Look at what they are teaching. Yeah, at times it sounds good. Yes, at times it looks good. It may even feel good. But if you get on that boat, just like the people that boarded the, the Titanic, you are headed for imminent disaster. And we see this imminent disaster uh, really in three different ways. Number one, it's described, the first section, it's described with five frightening images or futile images or metaphors. So we see just right here in verses 12 and I believe 13, uh, Jude is, gives us five you know, images. These people are alike, and he uses these things from nature that everyone would understand. And I'm going to go through them quickly for you. Number one, he says, they're like the dangerous reefs at your love feasts. Now, I know you, you hear the word love feast. You say, that sounds like one of those pagan things. It actually, it, they called it, the, the word uh, that's translated love is agape. That's God's love, agape feast. It was basically like a church fellowship. They would get together really like a potluck. They would get together, everybody would, would, would make what they could and, and prepare what they could, They'd bring it all together and everybody would eat. Well, these, these leaders would go before everybody and they would, you know, they would, you know, eat and they weren't really concerned about anyone else. And you got to remember in the church in those days, just like today, there are some that are very well off and some that are not so much. And for the ones that weren't quite as well off financially, coming together for this, this church potluck, if you will, was the only time where they might actually have access to a decent meal. And these people who, who were not going hungry, these false teachers, were kind of, you know, elbowing everybody else out of the way and they were getting their stuff first. And, and so the, the dangerous reef uh, is, is like, a, like a spot or a stain. He says, these people are, are stains. You know, this... This, this feast that you say is about God's love. These people taint that idea by how they act in these potlucks and in these fellowships of God's people. He says they taint that time. See, these people, in fact, call themselves uh, pastors or shepherds. In fact, it says they, they feast with you, Jude says, nurturing only them Selves. Verse, let me see what it says in the, uh, the home in here. It says, they feast with you, nurturing only themselves without fear. Okay, so literally translated in the Greek, it, it, it actually says that they shepherd only themselves. See, they were shepherds, and yeah, they cared about people. They cared about people that was them. <laughs> These people, this person, 
That's who they cared about. That's who they were shepherding. They weren't shepherding the church. They were shepherding themselves. And so we understand that, uh, that, that, that the, the, listen, the sins and the, the issues with false teachers, ob, uh, you know, obviously um, many times can be subtle. They may even seem invisible. But if, if you continue on with uh, that, uh, being on board with the teachings of somebody that is a false teacher that's not teaching what is clearly expressed in the Word of God, then it, it ultimately can lead to catastrophe. He says, he says they are like dangerous reefs. He says they are like waterless clouds carried along by the winds. And see, clouds without water in them are really good for nothing. They, at least from, from the perspective of, uh, of somebody that farms or so, so, you know, somebody that needs the, uh, the, 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 the sun, uh, the sunlight and the heat from the sun, someone that needs the, you know, whether it's uh, anybody else that just needs, uh, needs access to that light. A waterless cloud, if it's not carrying any water in it, all it's going to do is block out the heat and the light from the sun. He says, he says they're like trees in late autumn, which means that they're fruitless, okay? They're fruitless. In, in, uh, in late autumn, a tree should have fruit on it, but these trees were fruitless. These false teachers, what that meant is the false teachers, they were not bearing fruit. Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruit. We, we understand if somebody's walking by the Spirit or by the flesh, you look at the fruit, okay, in their life. Do they exhibit the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the, of the flesh? No, nobody is perfect. Don't get me wrong. I am definitely not a perfect person whatsoever, but I'm telling you, you can look at somebody's life and you can tell not whether or not, they're, uh, whether or not they are perfect, but whether or not they are bearing fruit of the Spirit or fruit of the flesh. These people were not, uh, were not bearing any fruit of the Spirit. They only, like a tree not bearing fruit, they take resources, but they don't produce and put anything, give anything back. They're like wild waves of the sea. It says foaming up their shameful deeds. And so one of the things you have to understand is, is if you're like me, you like the, you know, a lot of you love the ocean. Many of you go to a beach somewhere on vacation. I love the beach. I've shared that with you many, many times. I love being on the beach. I love seeing the waves come in. It's a beautiful thing to somebody that, you know, lives in the middle of Arkansas and doesn't get to see something like that all the time. It's just a really neat, beautiful thing. And as beautiful as the ocean is, to the people in Jude's day and the people that Jude was talking to, uh, I'm sure they recognized some beauty in the ocean, but you have to understand that the ocean was a tremendous obstacle for them. It was a tremendous obstacle when they would travel. There were, there were you know, obviously uh, it, it created, there were, from time to time, uh, would have been hurricanes or other issues that would come or typhoons, whatever it might have been weather-related things that would have involved the ocean in those days. It was kind of a scary thing. And so what, what he's saying, what Jude is, is getting with, is that they are wild waves of the sea 
foaming up their shameful deeds. He's talking about the idea that these waves come and they crash up on the shore, but they're, they're, it's really not, it, it's really not uh, doing anything beneficial, at least in those days. It would, it would crash up on the shore. Often it would bring debris up, broken pieces of shell, whatever trash might be in the ocean. It comes and it crashes. It's beautiful when it crashes and then the waters reside and they're just junk up there. That's kind of what it's talking about. Uh, Isaiah 57 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And so he's saying these people are real bu really busy. It's not as if they're lazy. It's not that they're not doing anything. But what's happening is they're messing a bunch of stuff up. This is how Jude is, is comparing them. This is what he's comparing them to. And then he, he uses this other comparison. He says they're wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. Now, wandering star most probably uh, would have been talking about a falling star, a comet, meteorite streaking through the sky. We see those often when you look up in the sky and you see what we would say is a falling star. Often it's not really a star. It's something that's burning up in the atmosphere of the earth. And so he, he, he's saying, listen, they're, they're there for a second and they burn up and they're gone. But also, you think about it like this, a, a falling star in the sky would have done nothing. A star that's moving, coming down. And from our perspective, it would have looked like a star from their perspective. But a light in the sky would have done them no good for navigation. They used the stars to navigate. And so a star that's moving is really confusing and it really can't be trusted. He's saying you, you, you can't trust the direction that they point you in. Is everything that, that they're going to say wrong? No. I mean, some of the most uh, effective cult leaders in our culture today have been people that will take really bad theology and mix it up with a little bit of truth. Just enough truth that you're like, yeah, like I get that. And then they get you to buy in and trust them and then they start mixing in some of the craziness, okay? And so Judah's saying, you can't trust these people. Be careful. They're, they're here today. They're gone tomorrow. He says these, the things that they say, the things that they do, it's going to get you nowhere. All of these things, by the way, these five feudal images, all of those things are images of things that were absolutely useless. Things that... That, that might seem beneficial, but in the end, they're absolutely useless, good for nothing. So we see imminent disaster in how Jude describes those five things. And then also we see it demonstrated in their culture. Verses 14 and 15, uh, Jude is quoting, or he's really referencing a passage in verses uh, 14 and 15, a, a passage from the book of Enoch. Now, the book of Enoch, by the way, is, is an extra-biblical work. We talked about this a few weeks ago, which means that it, it, it was something that was written that was contemporary to the day of Jude. Many people read it. It often was, uh, was included in many of the, uh, 
the scriptural writings of the of, of people who, of Jewish descent. There was some debate over the authorship of it in that day. There was debate over whether or not it should be considered inspired, canonized, authoritative scripture. Obviously, it did not make it. Obviously, and that's part of part of how God has brought us the the Word of God today. But here's the thing: it was a contemporary writing that they all were familiar with. And just like I use the the illustration of the Titanic to illustrate the dangers of following these false teachers, Jude uses the uh, the excerpt from the book of Enoch to illustrate that the final destination of these false teachers, the people who distort or reject the truth of the word of God, the final judgment for them is not good. There is a day when all these things that we see in our culture, and and you, you step back and you think, why in the world would God let this happen? Why does this person get away with these particular things? And Jude is reminding us there is coming a day they're not going to get away with it forever because God will judge them and, and, and they will be held accountable for the damage that they have inflicted. And so that's what Jude is, is trying to get across. He's, he's, uh, he's demonstrating it with something that was familiar in their culture. He says, look, the Lord comes with thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment of all and convict them of all their ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. Three times he uses the term ungodly. He says they're they're not going to get away with it forever. So we see this imminent disaster. We see see it uh, described described with the uh, uh, with the five feudal examples and then we see it demonstrated in their culture but we also understand that it was divinely predicted verses 16 through 19 verse 18 about halfway in it says in the end time there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires verse 19 These people create divisions and are unbelievers, not having the Spirit. They are discontented grumblers, walking according to their own desire. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. And so we understand the evil character of these false teachers is on display in the book of Jude. It's on display in how they grumble and they gripe and they complain, and they're not just complaining about what they perceive to be injustices in the world. Uh, many of them are complaining that you know about about the way that the that the church is, I guess, or the the uh, uh, the, the the problems that they would have in the church. And listen, I'm not saying that there's not problems in the church that people shouldn't say that. But I mean, it, it's almost like I'll give you an example. This is way out there, but here's an example. It would be like somebody saying. You know, it's just not fair to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. You know, I know other people of other faiths, and, uh, you know, there are some some really nice people. And listen, that might be true. But Scripture says Jesus is the only way. It doesn't matter how I feel. 
It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter how you, how you see things or how I see things. Scripture says Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Scripture tells us that there is only one name. There's one name under heaven given unto man by which we must be saved. That's what Scripture says. And so, so you know, if you have a complaint or you have a, ha, have a grumble against, uh, against what the church is doing, uh, you know, globally and how Christianity is perceived, make sure that it's a biblical issue because the church can always be corrected. None of us are perfect. And, and there are times, there have been times in history where the church at times have uh, uh, maybe has, has, has gone the wrong way on different issues. But yet they're brought back by the authority of Scripture. These people, it says, they brag about themselves. They, uh, uh, they, uh, uh, they, well, it doesn't say they brag about themselves, but it, it seems that they brag about themselves. They give compliments to win people to their side. Listen, Jude predicts a day. He, he says, don't you remember this has been predicted? Jude reminds us that there's already been a day predicted, much like the day that, that they're in in the book of Jude here in the first century, but also much like the, the, the day that we're in today. And, and, and when, when people are going to rise up and they're going to scoff at the things of God and they're going to grumble, they're going to complain, they're going to divide, Jude says, don't be surprised. You've already been told that this will happen. In the end times, there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. That's the key. They're walking according to their desires, not God's desires. And they create divisions, and they themselves are unbelievers. They're not being led by the Spirit. Someone once said, and I thought this was good. This is not going to be on the board, so you need to listen. Someone once said, The devil doesn't come dressed in a red cape and pointing horns. He comes as everything you've ever wished for. He often comes as everything you've, you've ever wished wished for. Mathematician and theologian Blaise Pascal once said, truth is so obscured nowadays and lies so well established that unless we love the truth, we shall never recognize it. Unless we love the truth. That's why when I sit down with someone of a different faith, and I'm talking like somebody of not just a different denomination, but a different faith especially, if we're going to talk about things and maybe have some theological discussions, my prayer is that God would reveal truth to us both. If there's something that, 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 that in my understanding that needs to be corrected, my prayer is for the truth, not for my perspective, not for my truth, the truth. You know, yesterday, many of you know that Christian had kind of a scary injury, and of course we're fortunate that it wasn't any worse than it was, but after we got home, Leah and I took Christian over to the tree that he was playing on, and we, once we got to the tree and looked at it, we understood a lot more about how he got injured, because from our perspective where, we, where, where our house is, if you see that tree, it looks like a tree. It's not a huge tree, but it, it, looks, it looks like a tree. You can't tell 
that a whole lot is wrong with it, especially in, you know during this time of year where there's not a whole lot of leaves. But we got up closer to the tree, and as we got on the other side of the tree, we realized that half of the trunk of the tree was rotten. And so what it was is, is you know, it, it, it looked really good from, from our side, but we got on the other side, and it was part of it was hollowed out towards the bottom of that trunk. And on the bottom of the trunk, there was little jagged edges, you know, where the tree, tree had rotted and fallen away. And that's what he was standing on and he, when he fell, and that's what, uh, where he got his injury. But he, here's the thing. He did not realize, number one, he did not realize that he was standing on dead wood or that that, that wood he was standing on was not made to hold his body weight. He did not realize that it was inevitable that it was going to collapse from underneath him and injure him severely. We did not understand the, uh, the danger of the tree because from our perspective and from what we see, it, we couldn't see that hazardous part of the tree. And so, uh, so he thought what he was doing was safe. He didn't understand that he was standing on rotten wood. Friends, you need to beware of false teachers. Beware of false gospels. Beware of false versions of Jesus. You say, how can I tell the difference? And we'll end with this. Dr. J David Jeremiah said this. He says, Re refresh your commitment today to test everything by the word of God. The surest defense, the surest defense against spiritual deception is knowledge of spiritual truth. Let's pray.